1: Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast and the official podcast of putting Kerry Combs in prison following a 40 to, uh, a 35-28 to 28 Ohio State loss to Oregon. We're coming at you live here about half hour after game time. Kind of had some, some time to... Uh, I wouldn't say really blow off steam or really get our thoughts about us fully but me and Josh wanted to come out here and get some of our thoughts immediately after the game. Josh um other than Ohio State looking miserable on the field today how are you doing today?
0: Uh I'm trying to be better you know we've got NFL football to look forward to tomorrow although uh if my Bengals go 0-1 we're not we're not gonna have a great weekend but uh yeah you know just a real bummer and uh it, the sky is not falling for Ohio State. It's early in the season. Um, you know, lots of time left we'll to see how this thing shakes out. But I, I guess what sort of takes the sting out of it just a little bit, I'm talking like 2%, is this was not a heartbreaker that Ohio State deserved to win. They did not get screwed by any calls. They. It, they lost. They lost to a better coached team, especially on one side of the ball. And, you know, they had some some little things. They had eight penalties, I think. CJ's interception, which I know we'll get to his play, was just at the wrong time. And, you know, Oregon's a beatable team. I, I think Ohio State probably beats them seven or eight times out of ten. But they didn't make any mistakes. and They stuck to their game plan, and their game plan was great. So... Ohio State did not lose due to any kind of unforeseen circumstances. They lost because they deserved to lose, and so if if it takes any sting out of it whatsoever, that would be why. How about you, Gene? Where are you at?
1: Yeah, I mean, Oregon's game plan of simply run the ball to the left was was seemingly a good game plan against Ohio State, who just refused to play any good linebackers on that side of the field. Um, so yeah, as we kind of, you know, alluded to a little bit, the, the, the overarching theme of this game is Ohio State's defense, once again, was just atrocious. You know, they looked pretty bad against Minnesota, but we thought a lot of that was just, you know, their game plan, Mo Ibrahim, you know, first game jitters on the road, all that stuff. And then they came out today, and it looked even worse than last week. Um, a lot of it, you know, Kerry Coombs is getting a lot of flack, as he rightfully deserves. He he coached a terrible game. He made no adjustments. He stuck them in man coverage the entire game. Did uh, They ran, like, two blitzes the entire game. One of them, like, worked and, and got in the backfield. And, like, it just they made no adjustments on defense at all. Tommy Eichenberg and Bryson Shaw, I'm sorry. They're both terrible football players. And they both started pretty much the entire game. And then, finally, when we saw Cody Simon uh, rightfully get his snaps at the end of the game, they forced, like, three punts on Oregon's offense. So... It just seems like Ohio State's defense is like it's it's very easily fixable if they just play the right guys. But for whatever reason, Kerry Combs and Al Washington simply refuse to play the guys that probably deserve to play, and that everyone with eyes could see are probably the rightful guys for the position. Cody Simon and Taraj Mitchell should be on the field pretty much every play. I, I don't know what they see in Tommy Eikenberg. He is tough, Portland 2.0. He played a terrible game. There was a million plays where he's just standing in space, guarding no one. He's running the wrong way. He's, he's hitting the wrong hole in the, in the run game. Just a, an awful effort from him today. Bryson Shaw has never seen an angle that he loved before in his life and has missed every tackle he could possibly make on the football field. I just, I simply don't understand how those two guys continue to play at Ohio State, and I don't know why, when Ohio State has seemingly better players, and I know Josh Proctor had a seemingly pretty serious injury at the end of the game, and so Bryson Trow was kind of forced into safety the rest of the way, but I think there's better options there if they move some guys around as well. And, you know, obviously the, the Proctor injury injury is going to be big for this defense, but it just seems like Ohio State definitely has the guys on the roster to field a good defense if it just, like, acknowledges them and, and will do it. I don't know what these other—I don't know if these guys have, like, dirt on the coaching staff whatever, but these guys are just simply not Ohio State caliber players, and I don't know why they're playing every snap.
0: Yeah, you know, the rotations are still odd. We thought we had a grasp on that week one, you know, first game of the season. We're going to throw a lot of guys out there, see where some of these close position battles, how they're going to shake out and get some guys some experience. Um, but then we continue to see that today. And you're right, the Proctor injury could be a bummer. But like you said, there are enough really talented players on this defense that that injury doesn't scare me. What, what scares me and scares the hell out of me is the, the coaching and the lack of the adjustments. But if Proctor's out, you can put a ransom back there, or uh, you slide back Ronnie Hickman, you rotate in Craig Young, blah, 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 blah. You can figure that out, but they just refuse to put the 11 best. I, yeah, I really don't understand the rotation thing. And even the guys that started the game, you mentioned Eichenberg and Shaw, the play that um, gosh, I'm probably gonna have nightmares about was Oregon's la- a lot of them, but Oregon's last touchdown uh, play action, and it was not a great fake. You know, um, Anthony Brown sure as hell didn't fool me. But simple play action, Eichenberg and Shaw eyes nowhere, straight you know towards the line. Anthony Brown and the tight end just runs past both of them. By the time he catches the ball, all you see is 17 and 35 on the back of their jerseys because they're lost. They're looking at the guy that got past them and, you know, they didn't check. They didn't bump. They didn't do anything. So I'm with you there. The guys that I really sort of want to get into, the coaching is one thing, and I think that's a larger conversation. But for me, the defensive line does not get a pass. You take away one strip sack. And this defensive line has done nothing in two games. Zach Harrison, potential breakout year. Haskell Garrett came back. And we've got all these talented guys. And they've done nothing. They, they've done literally nothing outside of a strip sack uh, against Tanner Morgan, forced by Zach Harrison last week. They can't pressure the quarterback. They're not really stout against the run. Now, that being said, Oregon got out to the edges quite a bit and for good reason but even even if you look at that like one of your jobs as a defensive end is to play containment unless your coaches just flat out tell you otherwise and who knows maybe that was the case but there were so many handoffs or fake handoffs where you know especially Zach Harrison I saw him going straight towards the center and you know not even taking a second to keep his head up watch the ball, watch the gut of the quarterback and see where it might be going. So it's just, they're undisciplined. They clearly aren't coached as well as they should be or could be. But the defensive line is the one that I, I, you know, we were counting on them above every other unit on the defense this year. And, you know, right now they're, they're tied for last with the linebackers when it comes to me and, you know, Team Mitchell and Cody Simon, at least they've made some plays in the last couple of games. Um, So the defensive line has to get it together. We know the linebackers are likely to continue to struggle. And I do want to talk about both of the guys that have influence coaching over that position. But I think the secondary looks fine as of right now. Um, Unless you're going up against service academies every week, you're going to give up some yards in the pass game, especially in 2021 but anthony brown was less than 50% completion percentage. Oregon's leading receiver was their running back CJ Verdell and you know i think that the the secondary played fine outside of their you know poor angles and poor effort in supporting the run game but that's right now the the unit that i have the most confidence in and i would have never ever said that coming into the season.
1: No, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think the secondary has actually been been pretty solid, and which is weird because it's the the unit coming into the season we were the least confident in. But, you know, guys like Denzel Burke have stepped up. Cam Brown seemingly playing on one leg today. He was, you know, when he wasn't running, uh, like, during a play, he was, like, hobbling around. But he, he actually played, like, even despite what's clearly, like, a nagging injury there with that Achilles or anything else he has going on. You know, he, he played pretty well out there. Obviously, Proctor, I thought, played well when he was in, but he was clearly dinged up. He had something, like, on his shoulder, some kind of sling-looking thing when he was in there. Um, but, yeah, I thought Lathan Ransom looked pretty good limited snaps, too. But, yeah, I think the secondary's been, you know, okay. They've been serviceable, but it's tough to, to play defense in the secondary when your defensive line is getting literally zero pressure on the quarterback. Anthony Brown was, was making himself a picnic, like, back there before he was throwing the ball, and it was just it was crazy to watch that, like, you know, I'm actually, I think, I, I would argue they played even worse than the linebackers because at least with the linebackers, like, we know that when the players that should be playing are in there, the linebackers are actually okay. Like you said, like Cody Simon and Taraj Mitchell have both been fine. Like, I haven't had really a gripe with either of them yet, but like, the, the so linebackers really more of a personnel issue, but like, you have your whole starting defensive line out there and they're just not doing anything. Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith got no pressure. Haskell Garrett was, was pretty much a non-factor in this game. Uh, you know, JT Twimalao actually probably made the biggest play of the defensive line with a tipped pass on a third or second down late in the game. But other than that, this defensive line has, like you said, done nothing outside of the Zach Harrison strip sack, which is kind of just, you know, a lucky play with a swipe there. I mean, he made a good play to get off the edge, but it's the only sack on paper that Ohio State has this season. And this Oregon offensive line, while they had a lot of like returning talent, a lot of veterans, they're not all that stout. This should have been a, a game where Ohio State could maybe get some pressure in the backfield and, you know, they, even, they was... even
0: if they're skilled, they're not as big and physical in theory as this Ohio State defensive line was supposed to be, you know. So they're, they're more of a finesse team. The Pac 12 does not have the big uglies that the Big 10 does have. And they just, I mean, they push the the uh, Buckeyes defensive line around.
1: Yeah. Ohio State got, got beat in the trenches pretty much on both sides of the ball in this game, which is pretty shocking for. I think everyone involved. You know, I thought the offensive line played okay. Their pass blocking through like the first three and a half quarters was great. And then they really, those last two drives by Ohio State, they really broke down. You saw uh, Stroud get sacked a couple times or he got sacked once and nearly sacked on that ball he threw away. But like it was, they, they did not pass pro well on those last two drives. And then the run blocking the entire game was just not there. Ohio State kept trying to run up the middle and they just were getting nothing out of it. I mean, I think they still average like around five yards a carry if you take out Stroud's like, sack-adjusted yardage, but, like, it just wasn't that good, and I don't know why, like, Ohio State seemed to refuse to want to run to the outside either when you have a guy who's clearly incredibly fast and Travion Henderson who, you know, that's probably one of the positives in this game is that Ohio State's running back rotation was cut down to Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams as we said it should be going into this, but neither of them did anything all that spectacular. They did They couldn't get many blocks from the offensive line. Travion Henderson's, like, there was one play where he got tackled like in the backfield, but then he broke it and made it like a first down gain on, on a first yeah. and 10. And that was like a flash of like how special this kid could be. So that was like one of the few positives takeaway of this game is that Trayvon Henderson is probably that dude. If he could just gets a little better blocking, but they, yeah, I, I thought the trenches on both sides are really bad. The defensive line was, was non-existent. And I don't know, like, it's not like they're, it's not like they're playing JT to him, allowing Jack Sawyer and expecting them to like produce as freshmen. These are guys who are also experienced much like Oregon's, offensive line, like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith played all last year and they've, they've had their snaps. They should be, you know, they should be making that next level jump in their second, third years playing, but we just haven't seen it yet. And that's, you know, when you have a young secondary and struggling linebackers, having no pass rushes is is brutal for a defense.
0: Yeah. Pressure and any kind of sensitive awareness up front is a bad recipe. So, you know, I think The players deserve plenty of the blame, but I know we're going to get into this. We might as well do it now. The coaching is, I don't know, it's like it's non-existent. I I don't know what the game plan is. I don't know why we do not even attempt to make adjustments. I, no, I like know. Joel
1: Joel in the booth was literally like, Ohio State's running the same man look on every single play and it hasn't yeah. worked once. And he just, every time they come out of defense, he's like, maybe Ohio State should try to switch it up this drive. Maybe Ohio State should try to switch it up this drive. And guess what? They never
0: did. And we, I mean, we saw it against Alabama uh, last year and it was probably the most glaring, embarrassing example of that that we've seen. It's like they go into a week with a game plan and I'm sure they've got confidence in it beforehand but then it's like hey you know we we're not doing so so great after one quarter but we believe in it we believe in it. let's let's keep let's keep the the pedal down second quarter gets no better halftime speeches are apparently hey guys rely on the game plan we know you can do this and it's just it's not working they, they fail to adjust to anything i think it's pretty evident to say that so far, Kerry Coombs is overwhelmed as a defensive coordinator. I would never call for anybody's job. That's not yeah. I would. I would a...
1: never do that either. I definitely wouldn't write a story at halftime saying that Ohio State should find a new defensive coordinator. That does not yeah. sound like anything I would do at landgrandholyland.com.
0: <laughs> I just. I. I can't get there yet, but I. I won't make a. A great defense. See, I can just his. because,
1: like, this man has paid millions of dollars to coach this defense, yeah. and he has no idea what he's doing. Like, Kerry Combs seems like a really good guy. Like, respect him as a human. He's a great recruiter, and he's a great defensive backs coach. But he clearly has no idea how to scheme up or coach a defense. And it's every single game Ohio State plays, it becomes more and more glaringly apparent. And teams have learned that Ohio State is going to run one defense and one defense only, and they're going to adjust to nothing. And Oregon. perfectly laid out the game plan for how to beat this team, and it's just running the ball at their bad linebackers when they're in and throwing these short passes over the middle because their linebackers have no idea what they're doing. And a lot of that blame falls on Al Washington, too, because a lot of these linebackers have been in this room for multiple years now, and they've gotten no better. And they seemingly have no clue what they're doing on, like, 90% of plays, and I know a lot of that maybe is just bad scheme, but... It just—I don't know what between Combs and Washington. Like these linebackers are just so bad and so out of place, and like I don't know how much is on the players, how much is on the coaching, but they just—they seemingly have no idea what they're doing out there every time they're on the field, and they're just standing in the middle of the field taking up space, and they're not doing anything productive for the defense in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah, and I—I I find it hard to argue with any of that. But if I'm playing De- devil's advocate, I guess I would ask you: Do you think that? in totality. It's just, it's part of a bigger picture. We, we both at, at least agree that Kerry Coombs is overwhelmed as a defensive coordinator, but you just hit on Al Washington. Um, Matt Barnes is now coaching the secondary. That's not something he has a ton of experience doing, especially at a school like Ohio state. And, you know, we, we love Larry Johnson. He we've got the o- utmost respect for him and the talent that he develops. So I'm not going to throw the defensive line under the bus yet, but if you break it down in totality, maybe Ohio State just doesn't have the right staff, period, when it comes to coaching the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they, they've they all been involved going back to last year, and we can look at sort of every different position group and find at least chunks of time, if not the last twelve. 14, 15, whatever games, they've just, they've underperformed. And so I think that that staff and especially Ryan day who oversees the whole thing, they need to take a long hard look in the mirror and see if this is the staff that we can field a winning defense with, because I don't think it's just Coombs. You talked about Al Washington, Um, you know, he was a head coaching candidate. So uh, people love his ability to recruit and he's young and he's energetic. And, you know, he seems like a leader, but I I don't know how he's doing as a position coach. Um, I, I had all the confidence in the world that he could maybe be a defensive coordinator after Coombs someday. Don't believe that right now. So I think it is a group think problem. And Ryan day, as far as I know, is not a big defensive guy. But I think that he needs to get involved in some way, definitely more than he has been thus far as a head coach. He needs to be involved with the defense or at least be involved with holding them accountable. Even if he says, I'm going to leave the game plan to you guys, I'm not going to tinker with that too much. But here's what I'm telling you, you are going to do. This guy is going to sit. This other guy is going to play more. Otherwise, we're going to have a discussion about your employment. That's what it comes down to for me. If, you, if you're if you not a defensive schematic genius, that's fine. But as the head coach, he needs to hold guys more accountable, even if that means dictating to his staff. And they're not going to love it. But guess what? Ryan Day and his offense – and the guys who came back on defense and the fans and everything else, they don't love what we're seeing on the field, so they can suck it up and take some constructive criticism.
1: Yeah, like I said, once again, these guys are paid millions of dollars to do this job. They're they're adults. They can be yelled at and told, like, hey, you're not doing a good job. And, you know, like, as much of an offensive guy as Ryan Day is, and I agree with you there, like, anyone, like, if people on Twitter that only watch, like, they don't even really watch that much college football. They only watch Ohio State and whatever. If they could clearly see that Cody Simon should be in over Tommy Eichenberg. I don't think it takes a defensive genius to figure out that that, that you shouldn't be rotating those guys when one is significantly better than the other. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I don't know how much like he should be po- pointing out like which guy should be starting on defense, but I, I think it's it's glaringly apparent to everyone on the sideline like who their best defenders are, and they just refuse to play them. And I, I don't think this defensive staff is very good. They should have thrown every bag in the world at Jeff Halfley to stay here because the defense hasn't been good since he left. But, you know, we saw how good they could be. We we actually, we've seen, you know, how important coaching is to the defense. We saw in 2018 how bad the Ohio State defense was. And then in 2019, with pretty much the exact same roster, Jeff Hafley made them into like a top five defense in the country. And then since Jeff Halfley's left, they've looked more and more like that 2018 team, which each passing year. And I just think, you know, Ohio State's coaching hires... Their assistant hires, at least under Ryan Day, haven't been spectacular. It's been a lot of retreads. It's been a lot of guys that are just like, you know, Ohio State guys or guys that they hired from within. And, you know, it's just they're not getting the flashy names that they, they kind of need as Ohio State, as one of these big-time programs. Like, you look at someone like, uh, I can't think of the Clemson defensive coordinator's name off my head. Why am I blanking? They, they pay him like a trillion dollars. though. What's a Clemson defensive coordinator? Uh, Brett Venables. Brett Venables. Yeah, like he obviously got circles run around him by Ohio State, but he's a good defensive coordinator, and like he puts good guys under him, and he plays the right guys, and he puts his team in the best position to play. And so like Clemson keeps him around because he's he's very valuable. And like if Ohio State needs to find, like if Ohio State could have kept Jeff Halfley, and obviously Halfley. Left to take a head coaching job, so you can't blame him there. No, no hard will to him, but they need a guy like him who's an actual defensive coordinator and knows what he's doing. And like, they need to start. Like, I know they don't like to pay their assistants a lot of money, but for the amount of money you're paying, Kerry Combs, you should have at least a competent defense, and they're not getting anywhere close to that. And so I think there there needs to be a lot of of reshuffling of the staff. I don't. They're not going to fire Kerry Combs in season as much as you know some of us would like them to. But you know if they they gotta move some guys around, I don't know if they have anybody on staff like like we said. Like the really only the only defensive guy on the staff I really trust is Larry Johnson, and I think he's kind of got his hands full with that defensive line to to take over coaching responsibilities. And that's another guy who's never I don't to my knowledge I don't think he's ever coached a defense either. And you can't just take these guys who are positional guys and expect them to figure out a defense because that's just not how it works like Harry Combs could teach up a corner how to play man and how to play zone but when he's got to call an entire defense and put it all together he clearly doesn't know what he's doing so it's a it's a very large issue for Ohio State I don't know how they're going to remedy it this season I I mean I think they have the guys like we've kind of touched on to have a decent defense if not a good defense if they the right guys are playing more often than they're not but they just seem so averse to making changes and and like taking snaps away from guys. I mean, they didn't like we saw it on offense. Like Master Teague is the incumbent running back. Like he, you would think that Ohio State would be reluctant to take carries away from him, but he didn't touch the ball once today, and that's because Ohio State quickly realized that Ma- that uh Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson are their best running backs, and I don't see why that's so hard to do. With a guy like Cody Simon and the linebackers when he's clearly probably the top guy in there and he's playing like a third of the snaps, if not less, than Tommy Eichenberg. It just doesn't I don't get where the disconnect is there. I don't know who's making that call at the end of the day, if it's Combs, if it's Washington, if it's someone else, but it just a lot of it's just so maddening to watch because you know this Ohio State team could be better. It's not like there's a, a lack of talent. They have the guys to do it. They're just they're choosing to make their lives harder by not putting their best team on the field. And they had talked about last week doing that this week, and I feel like they did it on offense, but they certainly didn't do it on defense.
0: Yeah. To me, this is sort of like when we would watch Zeke, when he was here at Ohio state and they wouldn't just feed him the ball. They would rely on quarterback runs and things like that. This is like watching an entire unit for 60 minutes. And it's the same thing on the opposite side of the ball. We know who should be out there. We think we know who should be out there at all these different positions and they're just they're being underutilized but the biggest thing that really jumps out to me is over the last four games they're giving up just under 500 yards a game on defense and 37 points the offense is averaging the same amount of points I think they're even they've averaged even more yards but you look at that and it's basically a wash we this offense is everything that we thought it would be, and maybe it's capable of even more. But it's not offsetting the defense because the defense is that poor. We should we we talked about it plenty in preseason previews and stuff like that. Like if we would just hold teams to twenty four points a game, I, I think it's almost impossible for Ohio State to lose a football game hold somebody to 24 points. Let's see if that can happen. And then I would have no questions and no, you know, kind of concern about where this Ohio state team is heading for the rest of the season, but 500 yards and 37 points is just, it's gross. It's not a standard that should be accepted here at Ohio state. And the offense can only do so much to offset that poor performance. So hopefully I was kind of teeing that up for Eugene to get into some of the offensive stuff that I know you want to talk about. Yeah. I was going
1: to say we should, we should talk about the offense a little bit. I just want to have my one last point. On, If you just want a clear example of how little this coaching staff on defense wants to make adjustments, Oregon ran the same play three times in a row for a touchdown. Oh, they ran the same run to the left with a little—anytime there's any pre-snap motion, which Oregon quickly figured out, Ohio State's linebackers immediately panic. And so they did it three times. They ran it to the left, and Verdell scored every time. They ran the exact same play in the red zone three times, and Ohio State didn't even—like, like it wasn't even marginally better Anytime There was nobody on the left side of the field to stop Verdell on any of the three touchdowns. It was the same exact play. They did, they they made no changes at all. And like, if you, like, anybody who wants to even try to find some defensive changes outside of the last three drives where Cody Simon was the all-time starting linebacker and they actually looked decent. They literally, they ran the same play three times. It worked all three times. There were no adjustments made. Lots of problems on you defense. You might sway me staff. with
0: that. You know, I watched the entire game, obviously, and I, maybe I had blocked that from my memory, but yeah, that may be indefensible. Um, <laughs> that, it was a comedy of errors. Anytime, the Oregon linebackers the-
1: were running into each other on yes. Ohio State. They were bl- they were setting picks for each other, and that is just like that is clearly a coaching problem and not a players problem. I think these players know how to play football. I don't think they're they're planning on running into each other. But if your scheme is such that they're running into each other, you you either have a bad scheme that the players don't understand. Or you're just like, it's just bad. Everything's bad. Like, I don't, I just, uh, there's, we've talked a lot about the defense, but it's just so, so bad. And it's, I don't think it's a player problem. I think it's, well, obviously, like, it's a personnel problem. The right players aren't on the field, but I think that 75% of it is a coaching problem.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that the majority of the blame needs to be placed on the coaches. And, you know, also, just before-, before
1: we get off the defense, I don't really understand what's up with seven banks. Because this is now yeah. two weeks in a row where he's suited up, he's gone through warm ups, and then he doesn't play. and I don't know if it's uh it seems like honestly almost like a disciplinary issue at this point because he's you know we we saw him play last year. He's probably one of Ohio State's best corners. Like, he wasn't spectacular last year, but he's certainly serviceable. and like, can I give you my guess? yeah, go ahead,
0: so either a and it could be disciplinary. I would not be surprised. I'd say that's fifty percent probability. I think the other part of it is. I don't think the Buckeyes want to play him if they don't have to. I think there's some sort of injury. I don't think that they want to throw him out there unless it is an emergency. And well, I think you, it was pretty could,
1: would you consider an emergency losing to Oregon in the fourth quarter cuz I would. That's Here's that's why, my thing. Like I thought that as well, but at a certain point when you're losing in the second half like if you have a guy on the bench you think is one of your best players and you're saving him for an emergency, that that constitutes an emergency for me.
0: Yeah, my only thing with that is they may have just known and clearly decided Seven Banks isn't stopping the run. And so if he is that banged up, they, and and I don't know, you know, I'm saying a 50 50 probability here. Seven Banks is not running a lot of corner blitzes, he's not sliding over to the bullet or the slot uh, safety position. I think that maybe they just they want to save him unless they absolutely have to. And they said, look, he's not stopping the run. So why throw him out there? You know, we saw Josh Proctor. We knew he was banged up after last game. But same thing. I don't think he was out there as much as the Buckeyes would have wanted him to be because he probably wasn't at 100 percent. We saw way too much Bryson Shaw even before the Proctor injury. I think they wanted to try and keep these guys healthy get past these two games, and then maybe even hold them out three or four games until they're 105%. But that's that's only a guess on my part. Maybe they just didn't throw Banks out there because they didn't think that him being a good coverage corner was enough to stop this Ducks offense.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they weren't getting killed in the passing game. I would have liked to see, like, you kind of brought up a corner blitz. I would have liked to see Ohio State maybe, just maybe, like, consider a blitz every now and then. They ran it, like, once yeah. or twice. And, like, if you're not getting pressure rushing for, like, and, and the team isn't killing you through the air, maybe consider a blitz, you know? Maybe mix well, it Gene, in. Well, Gene,
0: yeah, so if, maybe. if our defensive line's not doing it and your linebackers provide no other value... What's the harm in sending them on a yeah, blitz? I, I can't just, hurt it
1: anymore. That would that would seem like the smart thing to do. But instead, we'd rather have you know Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers on the field as our two linebackers at the same time in a in a close game. But that's neither here nor there, I guess, at this point. So let's uh let's talk offense a little bit because the the offense wasn't you know my prediction on the season was that there wasn't a defense in the country that could hold Ohio State under 40 points. And I, I still kind of think that's true because I feel like Ohio State, more than anything, held himself under 40 points because I don't, you know, we talked about a lot of the defensive coaching. I don't think Ryan Day is safe from a little criticism in this game as well because some of the offensive play calling in this game was not great. A lot of the fourth down play calls were very bad, and that's why Ohio State went one for four on fourth down. Uh, we, we abandoned the run game, I think a little too early, even though it wasn't working like on Ohio State's last two drives, they didn't run it at all. And I thought once, once they started going to Henderson a little bit more, he looked like he was starting to get into a groove a little bit and starting to make some plays. And they kind of went away from that immediately to CJ Stroud, who I see a lot of people on the internet blaming for this game because he obviously had the overthrow of Garrett Wilson on that second to last drive. And then he threw the pick, But, you know, at the end of the day, C.J. Stroud threw for 484 yards and three touchdowns. He threw the ball 54 times, which I don't think Ohio State really wants him to be doing. I I think that's kind of a necessity because of the run game not hitting its stride today. But, like, I don't think C.J. Stroud played bad. He certainly wasn't fantastic. He wasn't Justin Fields out there. He did overthrow a couple balls, and he did— you know, some of his plays did lead to stalled-out drives. But I just think if Ohio State was calling a better game— and and like playing better defense, I don't think a lot of those. You wouldn't have really noticed the overthrow as if it weren't for everything else going wrong. So I think C.J. Stroud played okay. I don't think he played fantastic, but I don't think he played bad as many people seem to seem to think. I don't think putting Quinn Ewers or Kyle McCord in this game would have changed literally anything for Ohio State. I think you need to sort of keep your keep keep showing your quarterback that you have confidence in him, especially with a lot of you know kind of cupcake games come up the next few weeks for him to sort of hit his stride. He seemed these past two weeks like his first half he a little. A little nervous and then kind of settled in late, but yeah, I don't know. The offensive play calling was not fantastic. I did like, you know, I did like that they they shortened the running back rotation. Jackson Smith and Jigba had a huge game. He had seven catches for 145 yards and two touchdowns to lead all receivers. He looked he made some really nice catches. He looked really good out there. Ohio State has three absolute ballers out there at wide receiver, which is exactly what we expected them to have. But like we've kind of alluded to everything else really overshadowed those guys. And like, it just none of nothing Ohio State did on offense was really going to matter if the, if the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed.
0: Yeah. I'm really undecided on the offense. Uh, obviously we know what they're capable of. Um, we think they're going to put up a ton of points the rest of the season. And I don't really want to blame too much about this game on the offense. Were they perfect? No. Were there some questionable play calls? Yeah, Sure. But, you know, I think to go one for four on fourth downs, I think some of that's luck or bad luck. Um, I I think that if C.J. Stroud were a willing runner, I think that they would be a lot better in short yardage. I'm not asking him to be a super active runner, but he has to at least be willing. Because if they run any sort of read option or an RPO play, if I'm the defense, I'm not looking at C.J. Stroud for a second. I'm I'm looking to see if he pulls the ball back out because I know it's going to be a pass play, but I have no fear whatsoever of CJ Stroud, the runner, and I'm not sure why that's the case right now. He seems really hesitant, but as for CJ Stroud, the quarterback and the passer, I think he's been above average. I think that he's been really good. You know, the the interception that he threw today, it was untimely but I can forgive it because it was third and 18. He knew that his team needed to try and make a play. And, you know, his, uh, his interception was a short arm punt, but guess what? Oregon was probably getting a first down if we punted it inside the five, you know, Ohio state was, Ohio state had about three stops in them and they exhausted all three. So, and and
1: to his credit like that, on that specific set of downs, like CJ Stroud did make a really nice play on a third and 10 to run for a first down. It just got yep, called yep. back for a holding.
0: Yeah, and so he he has the ability. He needs to be more willing. I'm not looking for him to do it very often, but just be a threat. Um, but you, know, you talk about some of his passes. Did he airmail a couple? Yeah, he did. But not every quarterback is going to hit 80% of their throws. You know, he threw a beautiful ball to Chris Olave and he dropped it.
1: Yeah, there were there were a couple
0: drops in that first third half da- su- Yeah, Third drops. down, third down, Cade Stover and Garrett Wilson in the first half drops on well Yo, also, thrown balls. I have, a, I have an
1: issue with going to Cade Stover on third down, but that's also another story. <laughs> but like I don't like we're throwing to a converted defensive end on third down. That's another like that's a play calling issue. That should not be happening.
0: Fair, very fair. You have
1: Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson on your roster, and you are going to Cade Stover on third down. Can't happen. Can't happen.
0: Yeah, and some of that goes to Stroud too, but if that's the open guy, that's the open guy. So maybe we do want to charge that to coaching, and I I won't disagree with you on that one, but three drops on three uh, really well-thrown balls, and then the fourth quarter miss to Garrett Wilson. I want to go back and watch it again. Uh, I would never doubt the effort given by Garrett Wilson, but in the moment, it definitely looked to me like, he could have extended for that ball. I think, I think it was he...
1: overthrown. I don't know if he had a chance. It was tough.
0: And then the play yeah, after... And so that's the play why after to... JSN,
1: like, tripped, and, like, I think he would have been open for that. It was a nice crossing route. He, like, kind of stumbled, like, mm-hmm. as as Stroud was, like, cocking back to throw the ball. So that, that kind of compounded things. But, yeah, I, I think it was... I don't know if Gary Wilson could have made a play on that one. I think it was a little high.
0: Yeah, and I, and I would want to watch that again. But, yeah, we know C.J. Stroud wants to have a couple of balls back. But... He's shown me a lot. you know. He struggled in the first half against Minnesota. He settled down. He didn't have to thread the needle by any means against uh, Minnesota in the second half, but he put the ball where he needed to put it. Today, again, sort of a little bit of a slow start, and everyone was like, oh, here we go. CJ Stroud, he's garbage. He's not going to get it done. And I thought after from the second drive on, I thought he played really well. We'd love it if he hit, like I said, 80% of his passes, but still, to complete 65% of your balls to have a handful of drops and the interception, again, that's forgivable to me. It was obviously not the smartest decision in the world, but he's, he's trying to make a play, you know, getting four yards on third and 18 was going to do nothing. He saw uh, his receiver on the sideline and he tried to put it in there where only he could get it. And he overthrew him. So the, The rest of the offense, I I think there's some things we can tighten up. The running game, you're right, it wasn't great, but they averaged about five yards a carry. And again, that's without the threat of a mobile quarterback. So you know that if Mayan Williams or Travion Henderson gets the ball, you're going with them. Uh, Your eyes come down at least to their pad level, and you're following that that running back. So five yards a pop, I'll live with. Oregon still has a talented defense. I don't want to take much away from them, uh, even without Thibodeau and, uh, gosh, uh, Justin Flo. They've got some good guys on that unit. So the running game, I'm not worried about either. The offensive line, I'm not worried about. They had some penalties, which I think for, you know, the Thayer Mumford hold was, uh, I don't know about that. Um, And everything else, the defense, the offense, I'm sorry, will be fine. They look really good to me. Yeah, you want to call better had, plays on occasion. They had six
1: hundred yards and they yeah. only scored twenty eight points. I don't even know how that's possible. They didn't. That, they only turned yeah, the ball over once. I mean, obviously the turnovers on downs, but they had one pick and they they ran. They had six hundred yards of offense and only scored twenty eight points. That's kind of weird.
0: Yeah, that's why it's fluky to me, especially the fourth downs. You know, and I see people saying, "Oh, it's the fourth down. It's short. You got to run the ball." Well, they tried it on at least one, maybe two. But then I look at fourth and short. I don't care if it's fourth and one or fourth and 50. The best guys on the football field are Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So if you want to try and throw it to them on fourth and an inch, guess what? I don't care. You're trying to get to the the ball to one of the best playmakers in the country. So I'll live with whatever they call on fourth down. And we saw the run fail. So, you know, Ryan Day tried to mix it up. I, I bet a lot of people were upset when they threw the fourth down to Garrett Wilson. They were like, oh my gosh, we're passing. Guess what? That's a ballsy play call, and it worked for 23 yards to set up a touchdown. So I'm not going to question that. I'll go down with Ryan Day's play calling all day.
1: Yeah, they also had the fourth down to Olave in the end zone that probably could have been called for PI because Chris Olave was fully tackled in the end zone. But I'm not one to really complain about like a call by a ref in, in a game. I don't think one call... It was offset game that to much. me. I, yeah. I guarantee the Buckeyes sure had a one. similar one. Yeah, weapon. exactly. I'm not one to like think that. Like that obviously didn't cost them the game. There's a lot of things that cost Ohio State of this game, but it was definitely a play that could have been called. It was. It wasn't a bad throw by uh by Stroud on that play. And it would, uh You know, like you said, if you're gonna go to guys on fourth down, you're gonna pass. I trust Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson 100 percent of the time. So if you want to pass it, go right ahead. And with the way that the run game looked, I think that was the right way to go. It just didn't work out more times than it did. So. If you don't look at the final score of this game and you just look at the box score, you'd think Ohio State won because they outgained them by 100 yards. They had more first downs. Uh, they, they just, like, it, the, the number... I mean, the rushing numbers aren't great. Like, they got outrushed 260 to 128, but other than that, like, they really... Like, it, it doesn't look like Ohio State would have lost this game if you just look at the offensive box score, but having watched it, it's just, you know, all the stuff we talked about, a lot of the defensive issues, offense not exactly clicking on all cylinders. The offensive line had their their issues here and there with run blocking and a couple penalties. I think... You know penalties seem to really like more than any other team. I, I feel like just really sets Ohio State back. Like what they're just they just get off like they they refuse to run the ball after they've gotten like a false start or a holding, and it just yeah. like it, it shortens up the playbook so much. And teams kind of seem to key in on that. So like any there was a penalty on a drive, it just completely stalled Ohio State out, and they couldn't recover from it. And you know they they only scored twenty eight points. They had six hundred yards of offense. It was just a weird day. I, and you know I just the I, I just can't I can't really blame. I'm definitely not blaming Stroud, and I can't really blame the offense for this loss because I just don't think, like, I think they played good. Like, they didn't, they weren't spectacular. They weren't as good as I, I would like them to be in a game against a team that's missing its two best defensive players, but they, they weren't, they didn't, the the offense certainly didn't lose them this game. The defense did, and it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot for Ohio State to kind of figure out moving forward here, whether it be coaching, whether it be personnel, but that the defensive side of the ball is just not even close to where it needs to be right now and it's it's a it's a huge concern moving forward i think they have like we've talked about like they have the pieces to do it it's just are they willing to do it and will they do it and can they like figure out some kind of scheme that actually works instead of just running the same thing out there time and time again and it not working you know, I I'm not like they have they have some tune up games coming up, which is good. Like I said, you know, in our preview, I don't think this ends Ohio State's season, especially because it was only a seven point loss, and like it was kind of a weird like we've talked about. Like they didn't look terrible; it was just that the defense was bad. So I don't think this ends their season. If Ohio State wins out, and wins a Big Ten championship, I still think they have very legitimate college football playoff hopes but for that to happen we will need to see significant improvement on defense and and the offense will need to clean up a lot of the issues that we saw that that led to them not scoring more points with as many yards as they have but you know overall it's it's definitely a tough loss. It's one that we didn't really see coming. It was one that was definitely losable in theory. I definitely didn't bet Oregon money line, but if I did, I wouldn't regret it. So you know, dirty I, dog, uh, dirty dog. I, you know, it's it's one of those things where like, there's a few games a year Ohio State has a chance to lose, and this was one of them in my mind. And like, you know, in theory, if a team was plus five hundred or more, I feel like that's a bet you got to lay at least a few dollars on, just as an emotional hedge. You know, so if they lose, at least you get something out of it. So. You know, if you're like me and you, you hate yourself and you're a degenerate gambler and you bet against your team because, you know, it'll, it'll make you feel better when they lose, it wasn't the worst day for you. But it's it's not – like Ohio State fans are not happy. The mentions on a lot – I've had some fire tweets today that people are uh, are, are, are all up about. But they're – uh yeah, I, I've, I've talked about some people. I've – you know, there's a couple guys on this team that I, – I really don't like pointing out individual players because I feel bad because they're just college kids at the end of the day. But – just some of these guys I'm not blaming them it's more of a coaching thing they just shouldn't be playing like it's just it's it just can't happen you're at such a high level when you're at ohio state you need your best 11 on the field on both sides of the ball i don't care about feelings i don't care about what like what these guys have done in practice what kind of leader they are if they're not good at football they're not good at football and you can't handicap yourself this hard every week you can't do it
0: yeah And I feel a lot of your frustration. I was going to ask you what your surprise level was, but you pretty much answered that for me. As far as I'm concerned, I'm surprised they lost, but I'm not shocked. Um, You know, I think that Oregon has to get a lot of credit here, and so that's where I'm going to go. Oh, Oregon's I,
1: game. I thought Mario Cristobal's game plan, game plan was awesome. That play yeah. they ran late to pick up that third down on that pass play that was kind of ballsy. I really liked that. I think Oregon, yeah, like they they called a very good game. Oregon deserves a ton of credit. They like they they out they out coached Ohio State Ohio State for sure. They were more physical than them for most of this game, which is kind of shocking for the Pac-12 versus Big Ten matchup. But yeah, Oregon does deserve a ton of credit because while Ohio State shot itself in the foot at pretty much every juncture. Oregon was able to take, you know, they're able to capitalize on it and they're able to make the plays when they needed to. And they came away with a huge win for their program and they looked good doing it.
0: Yeah, I think that Ohio State was prepared coming into this game, but Oregon was not scared. They came in expecting to compete and expecting to potentially walk away with a win. And that's what they did. As far as from an offensive standpoint, Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator, Called a beautiful game. Joe Moore had probably put watched Combs a lot in of a last blender. week. In a, a thousand percent. And yeah, and he looked at last week and he looked at the the personnel on his team and he said, "Look, we're going to possess the ball. They didn't own it for a ton of you know. It wasn't in anordinate an amount of time. They didn't. They weren't hitting Ohio State at like a seventy to thirty ratio, but they were consistently just." They were hurrying up to go slow, if you know what I mean. Like they, they weren't
1: going for the big plays. They knew they could pick it up in chunks.
0: Yes, they knew that they had Ohio State off balance, and they knew that they could get eight yards seemingly every time they ran the ball, which they did. So they didn't go away from it. And then they mixed in some opportune, play action and some rollouts and things like that. They didn't ask Anthony Brown to do too much. They asked him to be an athletic quarterback and, and make some smart reads and stuff like that. And they, they picked the part of an Ohio state defense. So kudos to them. I thought they earned it. The only thing that sort of rubbed me the wrong way from a a broadcast perspective is late in the game. They were talking about the great matchup between so-and-so and Olave or Garrett Wilson, like that secondary didn't do anything. They they had an interception thrown to them at the end of the game. C.J. Stroud threw for four, 500 yards. So it, it, let's not act like we're not watching the game when you're doing play-by-play. I don't remember. I think it was Joel Klatt that said it. And I normally like him a lot, but not his best observation. Tons of credit to Oregon. And, you know, we, let's talk about moving forward a little bit to close this thing out. What do you think Ohio State needs to do, will do, should do moving forward. Personally, I hope that this game pisses them off very much and that they play with some anger and some intensity, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The guys on the defensive side of the ball should be embarrassed. They should be upset. They should be angry. They should be looking to take everyone's head off for the next month. You know, whether that's Tulsa, Akron, Rutgers, Indiana, just on down the line. They need to play mean and throw these two games out the window, learn from them, but move past them mentally and look to get your swagger back. It's been a long time now since Ohio State's defense has had some swagger, but I know it's in there. I know that Haskell Garrett is a hell of a football player. I know that Zach Harrison is, has a ton of potential. I know that we have a bunch of young guys with potential. They need to go out, beat some teams handily, and get some confidence back to carry them through like their late Big Ten schedule. So that's what I'm looking for. Does this team start to come out with their hair on fire and beat some guys up, especially on the defensive side of the ball? And as far as the offense goes, you know, full speed ahead. I don't expect a lot of changes there, but this defense has to change their entire mentality. And that starts from the top down. But it has to be the players and the coaches holding themselves accountable and holding each other accountable to get a heck of a lot better.
1: Yeah. I'm uh yeah, I, I don't think we're really gonna learn a ton about Ohio State in these next two games just because Akron and Tulsa are both very bad football teams, but um yeah, there's there's some stuff that we could definitely look out for on, on offense. I'm looking. I'm I'm actually interested to see. You know, can Jackson Smith and Jigba become kind of like the the third man? Like he's obviously the third man, but can he become? Can it become? You know, right now it's it's Chris Olave, Gary Wilson, everyone else. Can it become Chris Olave, Gary Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba as kind of those three big name national guys? Because Jackson Smith and Jigba looked really good today, and I think he has a good chance to carve himself out like a big name here this season because the guys are going to be really focusing in on Olave and Wilson. I'm excited to see more of Smith and Jigba. He's looked very good ever since he stepped on a field at Ohio state. I have no idea how Texas didn't recruit this guy. He's awesome. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. I'm looking forward to Stroud kind of, these are some, these are two good games coming up to really build that confidence moving forward. Kind of, pick up some five touchdown games here against Akron and Tulsa and really get your, get your offense in in full sync, get them clicking on all cylinders before you get into the the heart of big 10 plays. That's another thing too,
0: Gene, I got to step in right there for the Stroud defenders. He opened up against Minnesota on the road on Thursday night and the, the Oregon ducks. Um, Granted, Oregon was without two of their better defenders. Definitely uh, one of the better defenders in the country, but Through two real games, he's thrown for 800 yards, essentially, and seven touchdowns. So I think that kind of, in and of itself, speaks for itself. He's going to be fine, and he was asked to do a heck of a lot more than than he normally would because he's going against some real teams week one, week two. He's not going against... Florida Atlantic or, or one of those other schools. So I just, I got to step in and point that out for CJ Stroud. I've got a lot of confidence in him.
1: Yeah, same. He's he's clearly got the arm talent. He's clearly a good player. He just kind of has to rein it a little bit sometimes, especially early on. It seems like it, the the adrenaline kind of gets the best of him early. A little bit of those overthrows are—we see more of them in the first half than we do the second. So if he can just rein in the emotions a little bit, I think he'll be more than fine. Yeah, like you said, he's thrown seven touchdowns. He's thrown for a, a trillion yards over his first two games against some pretty, pretty good competition now. He has a chance to pad the stats a little bit these next two weeks. But then, yeah, on defense— I just I need to see a complete overhaul. If I see 35 and 17 starting next week, I'm turning my TV off. (laughs) Um, I just I don't know what more we have to see from guys that aren't good to prove they're not good. But I'm hoping Ohio State comes out with their best 11 out there. I need Cody Simon on the field on pretty much every defensive snap at this point. Uh, Defensive line, I'd like to see them maybe get some pressure against Akron. That would be good. I would like a sack against a team like Akron. That would be ideal. I like to see more Jack Sawyer. I don't think we've really seen a ton of him. I feel like we've seen more Tua than we've seen Sawyer. But you know, if, if the guy, I know that like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith are the guys we expected to be the guys. But if you have two five-star freshmen, uh, maybe maybe give them a little bit more look. If the guys out there aren't getting the job done right now, I don't see why not to. If we're gonna rotate guys on defense, it should be that position more than anything else is rotating because it seems like the back end of the defense doesn't need as much rotation because there's only a few good guys out there. Uh, I'd like to see more seven banks. Don't know what's up with that. Um I don't want to force Cam Banks to keep uh, Cam Brown to keep playing if he's like dead. So let's not like force <laughs> him to hobble around out there. Like maybe give him a break against Akron and Tulsa if he's not hundred percent yet. Maybe give him some rest and let that leg heal. But yeah, like we've kind of we talked we touched on earlier, the, the secondary actually hasn't been bad. Um obviously the Proctor injury is one to monitor. He got carted off late. It doesn't look very good. I would be surprised if we see him again this season he's he's pretty beat up at this point I don't know I don't want to speculate anything but you know lower leg injuries stuff like that is pretty tough especially when you can't walk off on your own power so uh you know he he played really well hopefully he's okay we wish the best for Josh Proctor he's a good player and you know hopefully he comes back this season but I'm not I don't I don't expect him to see him in the next couple weeks that's for sure at the minimum so we'll have to see what works out there at safety because the boy the guy that's out there right now is not getting the job done and yeah I want to I don't know if coaching duties will change up here coming forward I don't think they will, but we need to see—I'd like to see more blitzes. I'd like to see literally any other play call besides just like a two-man-up, like man coverage play. Like maybe try zone, maybe try something else, literally anything else, please, I'm begging you. Um, And yeah, other than that, you know, I I think this—you know, their season's not dead. The last time we saw Ohio State lose their home opener to a non-conference opponent, they won the national title, so— Um, it's not the worst thing in the world, but the only
0: thing this does from a national perspective is it doesn't eliminate the PAC 12 champion and prior in previous years, even if the PAC 12 champion was 11 and one, 12 and one, their strength of schedule may not have been great. And the PAC 12 was kind of like the fifth consideration. Now they're not automatically eliminated, but other than that, everything is ahead or everything is still on the table for Ohio State from it, like a national perspective. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because like like this loss doesn't impact their Big Ten standings at all. Like they could still go undefeated in the Big Ten. They'll play in the Big Ten title. They'll play, you know, probably a, a highly ranked either Iowa or I was I you know going into the season we thought Wisconsin, but Graham Mertz is not very good, so it probably will be Iowa if I had to guess at this point. Even though I wasn't high on them after watching them, the first couple weeks watching them now they're playing Iowa State currently. Uh, after we get off here I'll definitely be watching some of that game I definitely don't have a monetary interest in that at Iowa plus four and a half but regardless um yeah they'll play another they'll play some highly ranked teams here coming forward they have everything in front of them like you said if they win out they'll still probably make the college football playoff but they're they're definitely the team that they put out there today in that form is definitely not a playoff team and uh Oregon kind of exposed a lot of their flaws hopefully they they use this as a building block hopefully they they learned from their mistakes today, as they clearly didn't in the first week. Maybe this will finally be the wake-up call they needed to kind of change some things around on defense and get it all together. But, yeah, I mean, they have—Ohio State's clearly talented. They have the guys, you know, they, they've got some really— a lot of star power on both sides of the ball. Maybe not both sides of the ball. They've got a lot of star power on offense. They've got guys who could definitely get the job done on defense and maybe become stars later in the year. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's not the best Saturday in the world. It was a tough day. For Buckeye Nation, it's not what you want to see. First home game it in is, nearly but, two years, but yeah, you know, it's it's not it's, the it, end of the world.
0: It sucks, but we're going to move on. Ohio State can't go twelve and zero every year. They lost to a quality opponent. Why
1: not, Josh? Why not?
0: Because we're not Alabama, apparently. Gene, congrats uh, <laughs> to
1: Alabama on winning their eighty seventh national title in a row this year. Is what we learned today.
0: But you know, I I, I can't let you get away without. I want to ask you for like it doesn't have to be wild out of left field, but now that Ohio state's one and one we know some changes need to be made. Um, And I'm not talking coaching, but if you want to include that, go for it. Um, What is sort of your, your prediction for the next thing that kind of changes this team, whether it be a coaching change, um, a certain substitution in the starting lineup, like, Give me sort of a bold prediction for something moving forward as a result of this team being one and one right now and struggling in certain areas of the game.
1: Well, you know, my my positive outlook on like a, a change that would come that would fix this team is that you'd probably, you'd play kind of like you alluded to earlier, you'd play either Lathan Ransom or Ronnie Hickman. You kind of sub those guys, one play safety, one play bullet. I think that's if Proctor is out long term, I think that's your best kind of duo there between those two positions. I liked what I've seen from Lathan Ransom and Ronnie Hickman's look pretty good as well. So having those two guys both out there at the same time, one of them at safety, one at bullet, would be my like positive change. And obviously having Cody Simon and Taraja Mitchell as your two linebackers that are on the field on pretty much every important down would obviously help. So I think that's my positive change that'll help this team. And then my negative change that would, you know, the, the realistic negative outlook of me is that they probably lose another game in the Big Ten and they fire someone, so...
0: Uh, That's like,
1: spicy. Like if they if they lose to say like a Penn State or Indiana or something, like I think I think it's it's curtains for Kerry Combs. I don't know if you survive that. Especially with yo, Ohio State has such a massive talent advantage against every team in the Big Ten that if you lose a game on this schedule it's a really tough look and it's something where like it's if it's just if we just come out here for the next you know 10 weeks whatever's left of the season and we just we're trotting out the same defense that we saw today every week and we're not making any adjustments I don't I don't know how that's a a non-fireable offense so that's my negative outlook but I'm hoping the positive happens I don't want to see anybody get fired I don't want to see you know another Ohio State loss obviously I'd love for them to win out and make the college football playoff but I need to see it and like for to this point in the last two years we haven't seen that adjustment yet and you know kind of like I wrote my column today last year they had the the benefit of the doubt of the pandemic they didn't have a chance to put in their schemes whatever they didn't have a full off season all that jazz but we they come out this year and they're doing the exact same thing that they did last year which is play really really bad defense so until I see it I don't have a ton of reason to be positive about it but like we said we know that they can do it they have the capability to do it they just have to be willing to do it and that's going to take some philosophical changes on the defensive end that, you know, it's, it's gotta be different. It can't, you just can't, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's exactly what we're doing on defense.
0: Yeah. And it's funny. You said defensive end. that would be one of my, that'd be my bold prediction for the next couple of weeks. I think that by the time we get to the big 10 schedule or really get to the big 10 schedule after these couple of uh, next couple of games with Tulsa and Akron. I I think that if we don't see a big improvement from that unit, I think that Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith remain starters, but only in title. I think that we've seen JTT get on the field already a decent amount as a true freshman who got on campus 15 minutes before Minnesota. If we can't get more pressure against the quarterback, I think that you're going to see other guys in there. I think JTT or, you know, Sawyer seems a little bit further behind on the depth chart than JTT, but I think you're going to see different guys out there because we can't have a sack against Tulsa and allow them to run for even 170 yards or something like that. But really it's about pressure for me and getting to the quarterback. If we don't see it, then I don't need this to see Harrison and all his potential and Tyreek Smith and all of his experience playing 80% of the snaps. I need to see him playing 50% of the snaps and you give some of the young guys another a, a chance because through two games, they've done nothing for me. Um, and that extends to Haskell Garrett too, who, He's one of my favorite Buckeyes, but I think he's he's better built for a Big Ten schedule. If teams are running to the boundary, so what? You know, Haskell Garrett's not going to do a whole hell of a lot, but if you also can't pressure the quarterback, then, you know, we're not going to play a team that runs the ball 50 times like Minnesota every week. Haskell Garrett looked a little bit more effective last week than he did against Oregon, but I'm sorry, if if we can't get to the quarterback and get any semblance of pressure, you can try out a whole new defensive line for me and my feelings aren't going to be hurt. So that's what I'm predicting moving forward. I think we see some changes up there or at least some changes in kind of the snap count and the, the breakup of that because, you know, give me somebody who can get to the quarterback.
1: Yeah, we, we've heard a lot all offseason about potential and stuff, but we're we're waiting on results from pretty much everyone on the defensive side of the ball to this point. But You know, at the end of the day it's one loss in a long season second game of the year is a lot of time you know maybe maybe ohio state and clemson are actually smart by getting their quality loss out of the way early because as we know the committee doesn't care about early losses that's a big loss. brain
0: thought gene yeah, i exactly. like where you're going you got
1: to get your quality loss in early make the committee like think a little bit so now at the end of the year when they finish on it's like oh you know ohio state stumbled early but then they won out look how good they look so now you know now they make the playoffs so it's it's actually ryan day is playing 4d chess with the college football playoff committee and that's what i'm going with and that's my story we'll be back next week. Well, hopefully uh, you guys made it all the way through to this point with basically just us complaining about Ohio state's defense for an hour, but that's what we're here for. So and I'm sure, you know, based on my Twitter mentions, I think you guys are, or a lot of you guys are on the same page. So um, I wouldn't freak out. It's not fun. It wasn't a good day. It was a really crappy loss for Ohio state. It wasn't fun to watch at any point really. Um, but, there's a lot of season ahead of us, a lot of football to be played. Uh, this is why they play the games, as some would say. So I'm going to go lose a lot of money today on the rest of the college football slate, probably, because there's pretty much no good games the rest of the day besides what's hey, left of hey, this Gene, Iowa, Iowa State game. Yeah.
0: What was your money on the Notre Dame game? Who's up two points and just committed their third turnover of the game against Toledo.
1: I very highly consider taking Toledo with the points. Uh, I did not. I have no play in that game. But if I did, I was going to take Toledo with the points. So I'm glad to see... The, uh, the Mac getting some action there in Notre Dame it would be yeah. very funny if they won that game. But
0: Sorry, college... I, I, bro- I broke into your uh, your clothes there.
1: No, that's great. I mean, college football is a mess. I love it. It's always a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to bet if you live in a state that's legal to do so. But we will we'll talk about some we'll preview next week game and, and moving forward when we c- we talk to you guys next uh probably sometime midweek next week be sure to follow us on twitter i didn't i didn't ask for hot takes today because i felt like we got uh, the the sentiment is the same from much all Buckeye Nations that the defense stunk and uh, you know some people some people weren't happy with cj stroud we we are both on the same vein that we thought he he played well enough to win and that we're not really concerned about him long term but that was i didn't think we really really needed to reach out for hot takes this week because everyone kind of had the same general sentiment of this game. Everybody felt the same way afterwards. So, Ohio State 1-1. and They'll look to bounce back. It'll be interesting to see whether in the AP poll next week. Not that that really matters. Not that the college football playoff is around. But we will be back. Hang on, hang on the Holy Land. We'll always be back. We will be the most consistent thing, even if Ohio State isn't. Like us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, at Holy Land Pod. Uh, we're trying to be more active there as the season goes along we'll try to be less negative as the season goes along but you know sometimes they make it tough it's it's interesting these days but yeah so for Josh Julie I am Gene Ross and we will talk to you guys next week and you know as always go bucks even when it's the the times aren't great